Hello, and welcome to the second episode of our special podcast series, Designing the Future, right here on WLEI, with host, Jim Morgan. On today's podcast, Jim will be interviewing a true legend in the business world, Alan Mulally. Alan is responsible for turning around not one, but two huge companies, Boeing and Ford. His focus on getting the best out of people was well ahead of his time and demonstrates thoughtful, focused leadership. Alan wrote the foreword on Jim Morgan's recent book, Designing the Future, which is available on lean.org. When we were planning this podcast, Jim and I started talking about leadership. Uh, He went on to say a few words that kind of really hit the nail on the head for me. Um, And I wanted to share them with you uh, here today. Leadership is an indispensable ingredient in any successful team. And great leaders can turn a group of diverse individuals into a high-performing team. While poor leaders, they destroy. They destroy the inherent potential of their people. Exceptional senior leaders create a context or a culture that respects and maximizes the contributions of each individual and consistently produces something that is far greater than the sum of its parts. They create a culture of inclusiveness, accountability, respect, and a drive to do and to be more than the team ever thought was possible. It wasn't what Alan accomplished in his career, but it was how he accomplished it is what made him such an extraordinary, extraordinary leader. Those were pretty passionate words from Jim, and they were definitely accurate. So let's get to the value of this podcast. Jim, take it away. Good morning, Alan, and welcome to the podcast. It's truly an honor to have you join us today. Well, it's good to see you again, Jim. Glad to be with you. Um, so let's get right to it. Your management system, in my view, was absolutely crucial to Ford's turnaround, and a great deal has already been written about your weekly BPR, but it's my view that your working together management system is much more than just a weekly meeting. I wonder if you can talk a bit about the essential elements of a good management system and why it matters to a successful company. I'd be glad to. And you know, Jim, if it would work for you, let me uh, just kind of back up a little bit and uh, share with the uh, with the audience um, how I ended up developing this fundamental management system that that you are describing. Uh, as you know, I I had the fortune to uh, work at Boeing for 37 years before I joined Ford, and I had the honor to serve on the design team of every Boeing airplane. So the 707, 727, 737, 747, 757, 767. And I was the chief engineer uh, for the 777 airplane. And then as the CEO of Boeing, I helped launch the 787. And if you look at all the flying in the world today, uh, nearly 70% are on Boeing airplanes. And, you know, the commercial airplanes were really the first internet because we actually got people together around the world. We could find out we had more in common than we were different. Mm. And commercial airplanes are really sophisticated, as we all know, and complicated because of the safety requirements. And an average commercial airplane has 4 million parts. And and you think about the, the, the quality, the fuel efficiency, the safety, reliability, maintainability to be able to carry 300 passengers halfway around the world. So on all of these programs, we actually uh, make a commitment five years in advance to deliver all the performance on schedule. So it's an invention with 4 million parts. And we have nearly 600, 700,000 talented people that are working on the airplane to create this invention and deliver it on schedule. I've learned over the years uh, are the essential part of the management system. And a few of them are, it's all about people. That's where the people first comes from. Uh, everybody needs to uh, be included 
uh, all the consumers, the traveling public, the, our employees, the suppliers, the financiers, the regula- regulatory agencies. And it's so important to come together around a compelling vision for the product, uh, the uh, strategy for achieving it, then, of course, the relentless implementation plan, which, as you mentioned, is the business plan review meeting every week. But on top of that, clear performance goals are really important. Facts and data, we care, of course, what everybody thinks, but we want to know what the data is that everybody's looking at because we're we're inventing uh, this great product. Also, the behaviors. Um, so there's the process part, and then there's the behavior part where everybody knows the plan, they know the status, they knew, knew the areas know the areas need special attention. And we actually color code the charts so that we can e- easily see uh, what's on plan, an issue we might have, we have a, a workaround, and also maybe an issue that we don't have a, a plan for. Uh, attitude's really important, propose a plan, positive, find a way, respect each other, listen to each other, and trust this process of working together. And one, the last one is really around have fun and enjoy the journey and each other. It's just nothing more fun than creating uh, value for uh, the people of our world with these great airplanes. The corollary to that is, is never a joke at anybody else's expense right. because it's never funny. And the reason that's so important is that if people think they're going to be a victim or made fun of, then they're not going to be uh, forthcoming on what the real status is because they, they don't want to be a victim. So, it's a lot of fun doing it, and so just no, no uh, humor anybody else's expense. So when you look at that as a management system, it's really the culture. It's this process of working together, the uh, you know the business plan review, the special attention meetings, the leadership team where everybody's included is the second piece. The behaviors, expected behaviors, is the third piece. Uh, the creating value roadmap and the BPR were every week. With the entire team, we're going through every element of the plan, and of course, uh, the importance of the of the leader and the leadership team. So, you add those five or six pieces together, and that inherently then creates the culture that we used at, at Boeing, and then of course the culture that that we uh, implemented uh, at Ford uh, when I joined when I joined you guys at Ford. And it was incredibly powerful. What about for a leader? that is just trying to establish a management system, where do you suggest they get started? Well, I think the, uh, the most important thing is, is to, um, again, think of, the, think of it as a process, the meetings that you, that you have with the team and the organization, because that's how you get the work done. And so being really intentional about the business plan review each week, a two-hour meeting, everybody's there. And then the areas need special attention then. Uh, schedule uh, maybe uh, four of those a month, one on strategy, one on product, uh, one on process improvement, another one on people. And so anything that needs special attention, you have built in in your management system time to address that with the team. And then just start start doing it. And it's a, it'll be amazing because you end up uh, pulling together as a team and building a, a, a cohesive leadership team that is creating clarity, it's over-communicating clarity, it's reinforcing clarity, and it's moving forward, implementing uh, your strategy to implement the vision that you've laid out for your business. Perfect. Perfect. When you have to uh, 
influence or change leaders' behavior, what's the best way to go about that? We're all human beings, and we really do want to contribute, and we want to make a difference. So the most important thing uh, as a leader is to uh, pull everybody together around the vision for the business or the product, and everybody pull everybody together around the strategy for achieving it, not only the technical strategy, but the partnership strategy and the expected behavior strategy. And then um, make that really clear, and really intentional, and then just start operating with this process and these behaviors. And anytime you see a behavior that's not consistent with what you've agreed to on working together, like the, the respect each other and help each other, stop the meeting or, or talk to the person in private, show them what you've agreed to, and then share with them that the expectation is that, they, that we are gonna operate this way. And I've always said to them uh, also, as you know, Jim, that if you don't want to do this, uh, if you don't want to follow the process or the expected behaviors, it's okay. And they'd go, oh, you mean I get an exception? I said, well, no, not really. <laughs> it means that, that you're deciding to move on because there, uh, anybody that doesn't operate this way uh, is poison in an organization, as we all know. And you think about the performance reviews we do uh, with uh, all of our employees and ourselves and you think about on one axis will be your technical contribution the other axis will be your working together skills and sometimes there'll be somebody that's way down on the working together skills but they're very high on their technical contribution and so they'd always say to me what do we do about that and i I say why somebody like that and they said well we've been working on their working together skills for a lot of years but they just uh, they just don't want to commit to that so I said, well, let's go over the behaviors, make it clear to them so they're not going to be surprised, give them two performance periods, and if they choose not to move up and to the right on the, with the working together in addition to their technical skills, then they're choosing to move on, and we'll help them move on, and we still love them. Remember, it's people first as the first principle, uh, but they're going to be happier, um, um, the team's going to be happier, and, and I'm going to be happier, and it's okay, and we wish you the very best. And it's amazing to me, Jim, that 80 plus percent of the time, when you're clear about the process and you're clear about the behaviors and what you're about from a product point of view or a business point of view, that 80% plus of the time people will move uh, move very positively into a working together uh, contributor. Yeah, that's great. And I, and I remember participation is not optional, right? Exactly. 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 So in the book, American Icon, there's a quote that's attributed to you that I think uh, that I think is great, and uh, it's something like the problems at Ford were not as bad as I thought; they were much, much worse. What did you mean by that? What was what were some of the more daunting problems that you encountered uh, when you arrived at Ford? Uh, well, I um, I really uh, got off to a good start understanding Ford because when Bill Ford called me and Bill Ford's a, a great leader and, and, uh, he wanted help. He was being, uh, the chairman, uh, the CEO and the president at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they're going through a lot of changes, uh, with the competition, uh, with the quality of the products increasing around the world with the globalization of the products and also, um, the competitiveness and, one of the things that uh, was that he shared with me was that Ford had become very um, uh, had become a house of brands. 
they had purchased Aston Martin, Jaguar, Land Rover, Volvo, Mazda, mm-hmm. and they really had lost the brand essence of what Ford was about, which was still 70% of the business. Also, they become very regionalized, and Henry Ford set Ford up that way so that he could uh, not only provide great cars and trucks in every country around the world, but also provide great uh, jobs and careers and contribute to the economy. And of course, uh, with the union agreements we had, uh, we couldn't match our production to the real demand. We had become a fast follower, and so we had a lot of overcapacity. We had become a fast follower and from a technology point of view where we were the leader. And so you add all that together, and um, you add all that together, and we uh, were losing money on every brand and every vehicle. And Jim, as you well remember, because I, I was fortunate enough to meet you right when I arrived, and the first forecast that we all saw when we got it out in the open for profits for the entire year, this was in August, was a $17 billion loss. And that was the forecast. And four months later, we achieved it. So <laughs> this, this was not a forecast accuracy issue. This is we needed to really deal with the reality of where we were, not the way we wish it could be or wanted it to be or hoped it could be, but we need to pull together on our reality of where was where we're going to take our company, what we're going to do about our, our, our product line to serve our customers, and then uh, develop that strategy and that relentless implementation plan with the BPR. And that's exactly what we did uh, together. And even though uh, the situation got much worse because of the financial crisis in the, in the United States, right. uh, we during the worst of times, we, we borrowed $23.5 billion dollars to finance the plan, to restructure the business, but then also simultaneously to invest in all the new products that people uh, really want and value and match our production to the real demand and then work together as one Ford, one team worldwide using all of our resources to not only save Ford, but create an exciting and profitably growing Ford based on the best cars and trucks in the world. When you were first studying the situation at Ford in the early days, did you ever feel like, you know, what have I gotten myself into? Well, uh, of course, when I, when we announced that I was leaving Boeing and here I am the CEO of Boeing and at one more airplane, I want to help redesign a replacement for the 737. And I announced that we were going to Ford. I mean, I got, I got a lot of calls about what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, don't you understand that the, U.S. manufacturers are in trouble. They can't compete with the best in the world. And, you know, at the end of the day, the reason I decided to, to join you and Ford, Jim, was I really felt like I was being asked to serve a second American and global icon. And you look at Ford and you look at Boeing and you look at the products and services that they make, it's the reason we're free and as a country. And it's, it's the manufacturing base, innovation base of the United States and it's going to continue to be uh, fundamental to the uh, economic development and our and our uh, our environmental sustainability and our energy independence and our safety. So um, I thought about that, but I also had my working together principles and practices, and I knew that if we pulled everybody together, that we we're not only going to be able to save for it, but create a, a viable, a sustainable, viable forward going forward, which is which is what we did together and 
Did we have fun or what, Jim? It, was, we an, it was an incredible experience. It, it absolutely was. We did. Um, you mentioned one of the challenges at Ford was it was highly regionalized. Uh, I would add to that that it was also highly siloed in terms of, of functions. And that's a challenge that a lot of uh, senior business leaders have today. Can you talk a little bit about how you went about uh, reaching out and you know communicating with and aligning a company that was, uh, I don't know, almost 300,000 people? How, how, what advice would you have for a leader that has that kind of challenge right now? Uh, on the multinationals, or even if you're not a multinational, but if you have uh, a number of product lines or business areas and uh, around the world, uh, it's real, I've always used a simple matrix organization. And if you think of it, that the vertical lines on the organization would be the customer facing and it, it would be, uh, they could be the product lines, like in Boeing's case, each of the airplane programs, but it's the P&L responsibility. And in Ford's case, we use those regions like North America, South America, Europe, Asia Pacific. And each of those are, are, are a profit and loss organizations. So they're like many assistant CEOs that lead them. And then horizontally going across will be all of the functions that make it all happen, like engineering, manufacturing, uh, procurement, um, finance, communications. And then just write a big working together across that matrix organization. And so you have one Ford now, so one set of, uh, one plan, one performance measures, one vision, one strategy, and everybody. Remember, we made our, our cards up that had one Ford on it and had exactly the plan on one side, had the behaviors on the other, and then start the business plan review every week. And now, and have all those P&L leaders there on every meeting, have the functional leaders, and all of a sudden, all the silos uh, collapse, because now everybody, and you think about it when you're sitting in the meeting, in the business plan review. Remember, I would, and you were there with me many, many times. I would start out with a summary, go through the vision, strategy, and plan, what the status is, and then each PL leader would go through their view of the world um, for their business all around the world. Each of the product leaders, including you leading product development, would go across all the products across the world, and within two hours, we all, all of us, knew everything about the business. The strategy, the product, the process, uh, and the and the people. So then, and they're all color coded, and now everybody can feel, um, you know, no stress, no anxiety because we know what what the issues are: green, yellow, and red. And we're committed to helping each other turn the reds to yellows to greens. Remember, we could we could hardly miss a, a BPR, Jim, because there's, I think I missed like maybe ten in my forty five years of doing this because. You can call in from anywhere, and it's so exciting to see uh, the reds turns to yellow to green, but also see a new red because it was a gem because now you knew what the issue was. So now you could work on on uh, uh, turning it to yellow and green. I remember the first time you said that that the uh, these the red is a gem, and uh, it took me a while to figure <laughs> out what exactly that meant. But uh, yeah, it was great. One one of the things that that reminds me of is the incredible degree of transparency that we were you were able to achieve in the business plan review but that didn't happen automatically can you talk a little bit about how you encourage people to uh, to be transparent and to share the real information 
that's a really important question. That was a real turning point, as you remember, when we first started, because uh, Ford, uh, the, the Ford leadership team had never had everybody on the team, the, the P&L leaders around the world and the, and the functional leaders. And they didn't know each other. Uh, they had different uh, business plans. Um, so, and, and the philosophy of Ford, of course, was like most companies still, is you only brought an issue to your supervisor or your manager when you had a solution. So at, from a Deming point of view, you're, you're managing a secret. You're, you don't know what's going on, so you're just meddling. And so the important thing was to make a breakthrough in that culture where uh, not only was it okay to show a red, but it was expected because there's only way that was the only way we were going to uh, be able to uh, deal with your reality and help each other. So I do remember when we first started, uh, the BPR was going pretty well and, and we were uh, building a very cohesive leadership team. And the only problem was that all 300 charts that we all used were all green. And so I remember stopping the meeting one time or a couple of times. I said, you know, you guys, um, you know, now we're going to lose $17 billion. Is there anything in your area that's not going well? Just maybe one or two little things. And of course the eye contact goes down to the floor because, um, people couldn't imagine, uh, uh, actually sharing what the real situation was without, um, you know, personally ruining their career. So, uh, finally, uh, Mark Fields, who was leading, uh, North America at the time in Canada, um, had a problem with a lift actuator issue uh, on a new edge launch in Oakville, Canada. And so he told his team the day before the business plan review, I think this is one of those red things Alan's talking about. We, Stock production, which is the right thing. We have 10,000 vehicles sitting out on that tundra. And I remember one of his vice presidents said, well, good luck, Mark. It was nice to know you. We'll go ahead and color that red for you. So we get in the meeting the next day. We're going through all the green charts, green, green, green. And then up comes this red chart on the launch of the edge. And Mark mentions that they got this issue. And, and everybody, I mean, the air is just dissipating from the room to see what I'm going to do and what's going to happen to Mark. And so I, I started to clap and, uh, and everybody in the room thought, well, the two doors behind the Thunderbird room there are going to open up two large beans. are going to come in. They're going to extract Mark from the meeting and it's all over. We'll get back to the way we used to run the place. And, um, and of course I, I asked the, uh, the leaders if they had any thoughts right away to help Mark and, Derek Kuzak, uh, your mm -hmm. uh, leader at the time, uh, said, oh, I've seen that issue on such and such. I'll get you the technical data right away. And, and uh, Benny Fowler, who's leading uh, Quali, had a, another uh, positive comment. And then remember Joe Hendricks said, he's leading manufacturing worldwide. He said, well, you know, we're going to figure this out. And why don't, I'll just get, I'll get the manufacturing engineers identified. Well, then when we get the solution and we switch out the parts and we'll get going again. And, so I'll get them identified and get them up to Oakville. And that interchange took like eight or nine seconds. And then we went on all the rest of the green charts. Next week, only Mark's chart was red again. Because people didn't know. They were still surprised that he was still there. So the next week, it was yellow, and we had a solution. And next week or so, it turned green, and all the, all the vehicles started flowing around the world. And you remember that following week, uh, Jim, the entire 300 charts looked like a <laughs> rainbow. And, and there are a lot of greens, but there are a lot of yellows and a lot of reds. Because there's always a lot of good things going on in every company or every program. 
And but what everyone knew now, they're going to trust the process. And we knew that no matter what happened, that we were going to be able to deal with reality and help each other turn the reds to yellows to green. And that was the culture change. That was the that was a moment that I knew and they knew that no matter what came at us, whether it was tsunamis in Asia Pacific, whether it was a financial crisis, whether it was ever improving competition, that we were going to work together to uh, to design and produce and support the best products and services in the world and create a viable business. It was uh, it was definitely uh, a, a big change in the organization. That's for sure. One of the other things that I think was a huge change was your people first approach to leadership. And while a lot of companies say similar things, I know I could really feel the difference at Ford and and so could a lot of other people. Can you uh, talk a little bit about what people first means to you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, People first means uh, love them up. Absolutely love up all the participants. Meaning that it's appreciating that uh, they are part of a, uh, a bigger vision to create something very special, to create value uh, for people. In our case, we dedicated our life to safe and efficient transportation and uh, a strategy for achieving it and then a working together process to achieve it. And so we want everybody's hearts and minds, not only their technical capability, but they are part of the team. Uh, they are human beings. They deserve uh, to uh, be appreciated, to be loved, uh, to know what the plan is, to know what the status is, uh, because they're going to be able to do their best work and then feel that satisfaction of meaningful accomplishment. So at the most fundamental level is appreciate every participant, be really clear about the process we're going to use and the behaviors, which allow them to be and the very best uh, of themselves also. But that's what it really means is to uh, include everybody, appreciate everybody, recognize everybody, thank them every day, help them make sure they got the tools and resources. But the best thing is, is that they know everything about the plan. They know everything about what the status is and they know the areas need special attention. And that's the most respectful thing you could ever do with all the participants to love them up. I agree. Where, where does that, where does that spirit that type of leadership uh, come from for you, Alan, and, and why do you think it's so important? Well, I I really I grew up with pretty modest means, um, and but I but I was I was really uh, loved by mom, my mom and dad, and they had great expectations for me making a significant improvement to the world. And every day, my mom and dad would say things like. Well, remember, honey, what the purpose of life is, is to love and be loved. Uh, I say, I understand it, but in that order, honey. I say, okay, God. Next day would be, uh, Alan, you know, to serve is to really live. Thank you, Mom. Next day would be, it's nice to be important, honey, but it's more important to be nice. Thanks, Mom. Next day would be, uh, by working together with talented people, uh, you can make a significant difference to a lot of people uh, in our world. And then... Another one, uh, Jim, that they would say is, now who you are, honey, who you really are, um, not just your competence, but who you are as your character, uh, who you are is going to have a very significant influence on your leadership contribution going forward. So with that, and also not having any resources, I started out 
with my product development and my business plan development, with my TV guide route, my paper route, my laundry business, the checker, the bagger and the checker at the Dillon's grocery store, the night manager, a farmhand, a, a rancher, a construction. And every, every job that I had was, uh, was my love made visible because uh, and the smiles that I got from all my, uh, my customers and my clients just reinforce those fundamental principles that it's all about uh, working together. I remember one time, Jim, that in my lawn mowing business, my dad had taken me uh, to a Royals uh, baseball game in Kansas City. And you know how they cut the field and the mm-hmm. cross back and forth? It's so beautiful. So I had a, a client that had a very large yard. So I thought, gosh, this is great. This is going to be an innovation of a lifetime. And so I cut his yard that way. So I got a call from him and he, he said, Alan, I really like your innovation and your focus on me and make it, doing it even surprising or delighting me, but I just don't want my yard to look like a baseball diamond. <laughs> and so I actually uh, redid the yard, Jim, and he actually gave me a, a bigger tip because of my innovation to exceed his expectations. So uh, my entire life and then growing up at, at, the, at Boeing on the airplane programs and then going to Ford, it was all about uh, that vision of serving and uh, everybody pulling together and everybody feeling that respect and appreciation. And that's where it always, that's where it always came from. And my, I always felt like my biggest contribution was to hold myself and the team uh, responsible and accountable for the following the process and, uh, following the expected behaviors. That's awesome. That's, those are great stories. Thank you. You have, uh, moving beyond your uh, grass cutting and, and paper route, you've also led <laughs> two hugely successful transformation of, uh, of global iconic uh, companies, Boeing and, uh, and Ford Motor Company. Uh, what do you think are the keys to a successful transformation? And what's the primary role of the CEO? In, uh, in, in turning those companies around? Well, uh, the most important thing on, on uh, any transformation is, is starting with the fact that you're dealing with reality. I mean, what is the reality? Not what we wish it could be or hope for. And, and in Boeing's case, after the 9-11 terrorist attacks or, or after the rise of, of Airbus as a major competitor, I mean, where are we really? And, and, and in Ford's case, uh, we were losing $17 billion. Our products weren't the best in the world anymore. So, and, and make it okay to deal with that reality. And then, and then really come together about where you want to take the company. And that's the vision and that's the strategy and that's the plan. And then the most important thing for the CEO is to hold themselves and the team accountable for dealing with that reality for coming together around the vision, the strategy, and plan, and then every week relentlessly uh, implementing that strategy and plan in a positive, uh, can-do, find-a-way attitude. That's great. Sort of building on this idea of effective CEOs, um, you mentioned uh, earlier that you had the opportunity to uh, lead in development, including leading the total development of the 777. How did that prepare you for your CEO role? Well, it's amazing because, as you know, that uh, those principles and practices in the management system, as I've shared with the, 
with everybody. That's really what I know. And I learned that uh, from an early age, as you asked about, um, but all the way through all the airplane programs. And so when I was asked to be the CEO of Boeing Commercial Airplanes, I just implemented the very same uh, working together management system, including the process and the behaviors. Because it's, you know, managing a business uh, has all the same uh, characteristics as managing a program because we need to make products and services that people want and value and, um, and improve our quality and our productivity every year. And if we do that, we'll be able to properly grow. So it was absolutely the foundation of just moving from program management and creating these products to managing a business to have it profitably grow. And the only way you can profitably grow, which is great, is to make products and services that people want and they value, they'll actually pay you for it and improve your quality and your productivity every year. So at the most fundamental level, Jim, it's just a design job, right? Just like designing an airplane or a car and include everybody on the revenue side and include everybody on the uh, on the productivity side. And the neat thing is, if you're profitably growing, then it's much easier to work the quality and the productivity because now people don't have to worry about being laid off because you're growing and so now their hearts and minds can be absolutely focused on not only the products, but also on your quality and productivity. I also recall that when you came to Ford, you looked at the extended enterprise. Uh, you talked to dealerships. You talked to suppliers. Yes. You really worked at including everybody. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that experience? Most important uh, principles of working together that we've used is uh, everyone is included. And I remember um, that when I first got there, and I'll just use one example, same way with the suppliers and same way with all of the dealers, is I was invited, uh, they're gonna have all 4,000 dealers, uh, all the store owners for Ford from across the United States uh, at a meeting and we had it at Ford Field and where the Lions football team plays. And they invited me to come address them. And I said, well, I just got here. What would you like me to tell them? He said, well, they know we're in trouble. So why don't you just tell them why you came? Why would you come to Ford? So um, they wanted to, uh, they kept asking me, well, uh, what would you like to, us to put on the teleprompter so that you could read it to them? And I said, well, I don't really do teleprompters. And so, so I walked out and the other speakers ahead of me were talking on the teleprompter and all the teleprompters around Ford Field all went black. And I walked out and I introduced myself and I just talked to them and I told them why I came. I told them what I thought we needed to do to simplify Ford, to focus on, on Ford, the brand, like have a complete family of vehicles, small, medium and large cars, utilities and trucks, um, right size, our production to the real demand, uh, take out a small home improvement loan to finance the restructuring and the development of the new products and work together as one team. And the most important thing was going to be you, the dealers, because no one in, in Detroit has sold, sells any cars or trucks. And you have the best relationships with your, your customers and your clients. And, and so we're going to work really closely with you and make sure you have the best cars and trucks in the world. And you're going to take the lead, like you do, to uh, manage the relationship and sell and support the vehicles. And so I was trying to figure out how to get their, their attention and so I asked all the Ford employees that were there to stand up. 
And they were all on the front row, Jim, because they wanted to see who I was also. So I said, oh, dear, what am I going to do now? So I said to them, okay, I'd like all the Ford employees to turn around and face all of the 4,000 dealers in, at Ford Field. So they turned around, clink, 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 and they're looking out at the dealers. And I said, now, I want you to tell the dealers that you love them. And they said, and they they all, they all looked down at their shoes and they said, we love you. I said, well, why don't you look at them? And then let's try it again. And they said, so they, got, they raised their uh, faces up and they said, we love you. And of course, their relationship was horrible because we were making um, uh, not the price that they needed. And it was almost like they were estranged. So I said, okay, one more time. Let's say it like you mean it. And then it'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and so they smiled. And they said, we love you. Well, that was the first time. And then all the dealers started clapping, all 4,000, because they were worried their 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 businesses were at risk they, and they're all family that was going to be gone and now they knew that it was going to be about people working together and they had a really important role and man as you know Jim did they come through they they helped us with making sure we had the right products and then they were they are probably the best uh, distribution network in the world to support um, our customers with by not only selling them, getting, selling the vehicles to them, but also supporting the vehicles in service. That's a great story, and they are so important uh, to the success uh, of Ford. Some of the people listening might not realize this, but you have a long history as a student of Lean. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and how that has influenced your uh, leadership style? Oh, absolutely. It's kind of where we first met, but we didn't know each other. So... Uh, Gee, I, ever since I joined Boeing, Boeing has always been into continuous improvement. It was it was uh, Bill Boeing's vision, just like it was Henry Ford's vision. And so uh, we were always benchmarking ourselves against against the the best in the world. And with the with the rise of uh, Toyota, uh, we were fascinated uh, uh, by the. Toyota production system, and of course, and the Lean Institute captured that in the machine that changed the world. I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal piece of, of uh, research and work, and that resonated with me. I had, still have my copy all marked up. I, every we would we would take uh, all of our leadership to Japan. Uh, Toyota was very respectful of uh, Boeing, and of course, when I was at Ford, they're really respectful at Ford. Because Mr. Toyota actually went to see Henry Ford originally, and Henry Ford shared with him the Ford production system, which is where Toyota started. And then they, through their Kaizen process and continuous improvement, they took that to a whole nother level to be the best uh, production system in the world. And you captured it. Uh, we captured it. Uh, we kept improving. That's how Boeing uh, ended up um, taking on Airbus and all the governments of Europe to create an aerospace company that could compete with Boeing. And we became, again, the number one aerospace company in the world. And so I have, like you, uh, continuous improvement, focused on the customer, including everybody, um, everything coming from the Gemba, so you actually know what's going on. Everybody's participating. That uh, I think that's been a, a major, major contributed to Boeing's success and to Ford's success. Did you have leaders that uh, you admired as you grew up at Boeing or 
leaders who mentored you along the way? I've had so many, Jim. Uh, and everybody that I've worked with, uh, just the way I uh, approach everything is about lifelong learning and continuous improvement. I've learned from every person I've worked with, I've worked for, um, um, people that have worked for me, all of the people I've worked with, I have learned from. And matter of fact, some of the leaders that uh, maybe didn't operate as much the way we're talking about here with inclusion and respect, I learned a lot from too about how I didn't want to operate and why I didn't think that was effective. And you know, and just our relationship. Remember when we met, and I was fascinated by all the variability that we had in the Ford vehicles, and we were never going to be able to. Uh, to deliver the products that people want and value with ever improving quality and productivity with all this variation. And, and I remember inviting you over and you came with all the drawings for all of the hoods on all the vehicles. We laid them all out on our, on the table. And it was one of the highlights of, of my early uh, uh, introduction to Ford was to get a chance to meet you, learn about what the product was and right there, uh, we made a decision together that we were going to have as a main portion of our plan, a fundamental uh, fundamental part of the plan would be to eliminate all the variation that people didn't have value for, so we could really focus on world class on what the people what the uh, customers really really yeah, wanted. I don't know if I shared this with you, but when I first uh, received your invitation, I actually thought it might be a colleague playing a practical joke to see if I would wander over to the CEO. <laughs> I had uh, my assistant call over and make sure it was legit. So, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, and that kind of demonstrates uh, how different your style was from previous uh, CEOs. The auto industry is going through an incredibly difficult and uh, rapidly changing time. And there are new technologies popping up all over the place, auto you know, startups, uh, seems like on every corner. What advice do you have for the people who are trying to lead their companies through these uh, very challenging times? The technology, the globalization, uh, the, the mass movement from the rural areas into the cities, um, all of these, all of these things uh, are leading to a tremendous, uh, what you consider to be disruptions, but also tremendous opportunities to further uh, serve the greater good. And my advice would be is uh, continue to use that business plan review and that creating value roadmap process where in the business plan review, uh, every leader goes through what's happening from their point of view in the world, demographics, uh, technology, uh, globalization, uh, suppliers, competitors. So every week, we're going, we're going through all of the things that are, are changing, then checking our plan to see where we might need to or want to capitalize on those changes from a strategy point of view and then continue to build that into the business plan uh, review. And so, uh, for example, the things that are going on with uh, the powertrains now, with electric vehicles, uh, with um, natural gas powertrains, uh, with... Uh, uh, hydrogen, with uh, autonomous vehicles, with uh, transportation as a service. Uh, these things are just nothing but great opportunities to figure out 
Well, we're always going to have cars and trucks, but they're going to be part of a bigger transportation system because with the cities getting bigger, this is going to be a quality of life uh, issue and a quality of life opportunity. Rapid transit, mass transit. So by, by constantly looking at all of these things and then incorporating them into the, your business plan, both the product plan and the business plan, then not only are, uh, are you going to be able to continue to profitably grow and serve, but also it's going to allow everybody to focus on continuous improvement and the greater good uh, worldwide. So just build it into the process and keep enhancing the culture to deal with it, make it a positive thing and, and so people aren't scared about the change and embrace it uh, for the greater good. And I, I'm very excited about the potential that we have to really improve people's lives, especially from a safety point of view and a, a transportation as a service to be able to move around in these ever increasingly large yeah, cities. I agree, and I think that the uh, the BPR that you set up is the center of rapid learning loops. Each week, you learn more Absolutely. and can you know help to uh, you know manage through this environment. And so, I, I do think the BPR is is central in that. Last question. Today, you're uh, you're still busy. I know you are on the boards at uh, Google and the Mayo Clinic. What kinds of things are getting you excited uh, these days? What kind of challenges are you dealing with? Well, uh, I'm also on the board of uh, Carbon 3D, uh, Jim, which is the first 3D technology that actually creates the product in 3D as opposed to layers on uh, on additive manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And this is our dream. I'll just start there. This is our dream when we created the 777 digitally. Uh, we're all four million parts. We we wanted to capture it digitally. Now the data can be saved on the servers around the world. And then when you needed a part, you just pull it down and make the part in 3D. And and the simplification of all of the logistics and the warehouses and the and the uh, being able to uh, do it in a timely manner uh, is our was our dream. And now we can do that with the, creating the products with oxygen and light at Carbon 3D. And so that's been really, really, uh, really fun to support. Of course, as you mentioned, uh, Google will continue to change the world because their fundamental vision is to organize the world's information and make it available to all of us. And you think of what that's done for all of our lives, plus all the other businesses, and one of them being the Mayo Clinic. And the Mayo Clinic uh, is the finest institution for serious and complex healthcare. And so, uh, and it's, and it's being digitized and all that information being made available so that, uh, we can learn from it and continually improve our healthcare. So all of them kind of fit together because it's all about technology and it's about uh, digitization and, and miniaturization of sensor set, but it's all about improving people's uh, lives, whether it's transportation or uh, manufacturing. So, and I'm, as you know, I, uh, people uh, want to know what I, uh, what I, how I can help them with uh, working together in their management system. So I've enjoyed that too. And I'm also uh, really enjoying uh, Nikki, my wife of uh, 49 years and our five kids. And so I guess you could say I, I have a night, I have a portfolio <laughs> of things that I really and I get a chance to keep working with you. And I'm looking right here at our latest creation together, Designing the Future, 
by uh, Mr. Morgan and Mr. Liker. And so that was really fun to support yeah, you with that too. Thank you so much for that. Uh, you added so much to that book. It's uh, It's got your fingerprints uh, all over it. And thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, this this was, uh, It was great talking to you again. Well, Jim, I just one more time. Uh, you were one of the first people that I met uh, when I joined Ford. You uh, were well along on continuous improvement and lean and lifelong learning. You had a critical job in the design and manufacturing uh, of the Ford uh, truck cars and trucks. And you trusted me and you embraced me. And I'll I'll always treasure our working together. And I'll starting with your leadership and your partnership and your friendship. And I, I wish you the very best uh, on your continuing contribution to design and manufacturing and quality and productivity. And so thank you very much. Okay. Thanks so much, Alan. Take care. Thank you for listening to the designing the future special podcast series. To learn more about lean product and process development, visit leanpd.org. And while you're there, subscribe to Jim's monthly e-letter and other LPPD news. Jim Morgan will also be heading up the Designing the Future Summit, which will feature many of the folks you'll hear in this podcast, as well as others. To learn more about this, go to leanpd.org.